So, Frank, I guess uh, we're not technically into season 13 yet, but I thought maybe we would try, like, doing a new look kind of thing for In the Huddle um, before we, you know, wrap up season 12. Um, then maybe just try to do something a little different. What do you think? Why should we do anything different in season 12 when we're already creating chaos at the uh, juncture point between season 12 and season 13? I mean, why change now? We have a we have a reputation to protect, apparently, Frank. We'll just keep doing what we do. <laughs> Unfortunately, because you're in New York and I'm in Florida, we're pretty socially distant. So I think we could probably do away with these release for this show. But wear them outside, or you know, when you're in the store and stuff. Don't. We're not trying to make light of it, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, let's uh, kill the uh, spread of this uh, damn disease, as they say uh, at this point. Yeah. Uh, what, one thing, though, that we do need to kill the spread of is, uh, I think, uh, negativity and misinformation to the degree exists. And uh, out front here, we want to talk about something that happened yesterday and it, kind of a trend over the last couple of weeks that we've seen. Um, NCAA put out a statement, uh, their uh, membership committee statement on return to sports, which essentially is on the screen right now. And it says pretty much not much. Uh, it basically says, uh, we'll Nothing. grant waivers up the wazoo to the degree we need to, but we're not going to tell you much else about any mandates on season length, any kind of specifics on uh, waivers that uh, they'll do kind of out of hand for students that want to go back uh, and you know get four full years of their sport uh, played and how that can happen, et etc. It's July 2nd we're sitting in right now as we're recording this, probably July 3rd when it comes out. And it's a little disappointing. And JB, you put out a tweet that basically said, this is a lack of leadership right now at a time we need it. And you took it on the chin yeah. for it? I, I did. And, you know, hey, I mean, trust me, I, I understand how the NCAA works for the most part. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a um, you know, college administrator. I'm not a, um, you know, sports professional. And I understand it's an association of two to 400 some odd schools and that it works kind of like government. It's slow. But at the end of the day, there are thousands of families out there that are trying to make key life decisions. Uh, and, you know, obviously the schools and the states are the ones that are going to declare on whether or not a season of some kind is going to happen. I get that. But for the NCAA to sort of piecemeal kind of throw out little breadcrumbs when they could just very easily create a more comprehensive statement about all the different you know, kind of possibilities and, and what may or, may or may not happen, um, I think is, is unfortunate for these kids and their families. Um, so yeah, if some people want to get on a self-righteous soapbox and tell me I'm, I'm out of my mind, I get it. I mean, I have two kids about to go off to college. Um, and if I was in, you know, if I was in a situation like some of the student athletes that we communicate with, I would like to have, uh, you know, better, better info so that they know what their options are. Uh, we, <laughs> we had a text message exchange the other night with a current student who was like, what the heck does this mean? You know, waivers, like what, for what, you know? So I just feel like as, as the adults in the room, it would make more sense to be a little more direct, a little more uh, open, a little, little better communicating on, what's really going on here because I think so far the communication both on lots of different stuff around this subject has been terrible and the whole, you know, self-righteous judgmental, you know, kind of 
top down shaming thing it isn't isn't for me and um at the end of the day we're we're here for the student athletes and hopefully that'll come across through uh shows like this yeah i i want to underscore that for a second here uh, we we take it on the chin too for also you know quoting statistics from the cdc some of which we'll be talking about a little bit later uh that show that uh the fatality rates are lower than uh the previous assumptions especially for college age students uh it's it's one of those things where you can name a fact and people will question your mo behind it and at the end of the day let's let's be clear what our mo is here we want the college students who are student athletes especially to have the same opportunities we had especially you jb because you played i didn't but that i had the opportunity if i wanted to play four years of a sport at a higher education institution while paying tuition, et cetera, et cetera. And we're not necessarily giving them that opportunity with the current rules set out there, or at least giving them the chance to make their decisions the right way right now. And so we want it done safely. We want it done with, you know, even their families kept in mind to a certain degree. We'll talk about that too uh, later on in the show. But the understanding here is that Football, in and of itself, being a contact sport, may not, you know, jive with the social distancing uh, credos out there. But we know that if you walk on the campus and you're tested multiple times and you've done everything else you can, you're going to have a very limited risk value associated with it. And so if that's the case and we can do it in a financially sensible way, then we should try to allow football to the degree we can or any other fall sport for that matter. And there are some schools that have disagreed with that and pulled the plug on it. And there are some schools that are like, hey, we want to start in the beginning of September. And others say, hey, we want to start in the beginning of October or the end of September. It's, and that's where the NCAA has to step in now. That's where they're needed. We don't know when the season's beginning. Probably the later the better to kind of give everybody three, four, five weeks to sort of get their feel on campus again and to get mm-hmm. things right. This is where they're needed. And what about playoffs? How do we start playoffs? When do we start playoffs? Will it be a true playoff system? Will it be a regional playoff system? More questions we'll look at later, but we need some answers. It's July. We gotta rip off the Band-Aid, folks. It is time. Not just for that, but for In the Huddle, season 12, finale number 1700, it feels like. (laughs) But nonetheless, here we go. Put your mask on, buckle up. Okay, we are, uh, as I said back uh, here at the end of Season 12 still. Uh, look, it doesn't feel right to make this Season 13 quite yet. We haven't changed our graphics. We haven't uh, given a little facelift like we do every season because we've been kind of too focused on whether or not we're even going to really need a Season 13. The answer looks like yes overall. I mean, two months ago, here's my tweet uh, that kind of suggested where we would be in September-ish, whenever uh, the season would begin. Basically, four things. NESCAC would have no 2020 season. 
So far, that's looking pretty accurate right now. Uh, maybe spring football. Ding. We'll talk about that more later with Coach Mark Raymond from Williams, who uh, joined us. Yep. And we will, uh, you know, we have a good long relationship with him from his St. Lawrence days and everything else. And, you know, very candid with us, especially about his own team and what it means ultimately. Uh, in the momentum they had uh, coming into this year and everything else and what happens now to that and the emotions behind that. Also, uh, we suggested that uh, the other conferences would start a month late and limit the, uh, teams to eight, seven to eight games being conference games and major rivalries. So far, looks pretty good Dang. there too. Yeah. Uh, RPI Union won't be happening. We know that much, but uh, there are others that will be happening. Still, it looks like at least those in conference, and you got to think that they're going to have some allowances for a little bit of valid conference action in certain conferences. Not the OAC, though. Not the SkyAC. Again, we'll look mm -hmm. at a little bit more of that later. Number three, playoffs push past the new year now. Intelligence since that point suggests that the NCAA is not looking to uh, push this past Christmas, and there's a yin yang scenario going on there for me personally to suggest maybe we need to maybe we really need to put your uh, semifinals and your finals into the fcs type situation where we go past new year and get it done in the middle of january when everybody's kind of back on campus or near nearly back on campus that's something we'll look at i guess uh when time comes we're not gonna have much clarity on that for probably a few weeks at least and then One quick uh, programming note, though, that not to not to interrupt, but there has been a little confusion, at least from some fans, uh, maybe not everybody, but this year the Stag Bowl is not in Texas, <laughs> which is probably you know, really good considering what's going on. It, in fact, will be at the, I think, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, uh, for the first time ever. So If it happens. Uh, if, if. That's a big if. Um, it, but the difference between Ohio in December and January – not really that much, in my opinion. You know, we could probably ask some people like Lenny Reich or others that, that you know who live out there who could who could report on the weather a little better. But yeah, if there is a national playoff system, you know, we've heard rumors of what might be some different versions of that. We'll talk about it a little later. But just for for keeping track at home, not Texas, Ohio, maybe. <laughs> I, I like that. And uh, number four, crowds only at playoffs. Uh, I, I think that we're, we're pretty assured that crowds aren't happening in the normal sense of the uh, regular season. And so, you know, playoffs uh, might be the only time we'll have them where maybe we push playoffs out into an island, kind of like the NBA uh, Major League Baseball principles that we're starting to see come out here a little bit. Again, more later, but that's, that's where we were when we spoke last kind of and uh, you know, let's look back a little bit more we had the national lockdown in April Ben Bartsch was drafted by the Jags uh, Brock Rudder Mason Kinsey signed as uh, undrafted free agents with San Francisco and Tennessee respectively uh, some states reopened uh, with mixed success hey Florida how you doing on there JB uh, in May uh, NCAA championship committee guidance released and preseason top 25s come out. We'll look at that uh, in a little bit, or at least the one that we're following most. Uh, June, uh, NCAA preseason guidance was released, uh, including at least a recommendation for six weeks of re-socialization. And that's what I'm kind of discussing earlier here was that whole idea mm -hmm. of maybe give them five weeks to get on campus before you start kicking off football games, ultimately. Uh, in yeah. Iowa, uh, Wesleyan uh, leaving, uh, Brevard, Dean given full D3 status. Good catch by you on that. 
And uh, July plus, this is where we sit now. Final decisions on fall seasons, reopening plans, and um, who knows? Uh, sadly, that's true. Who does know at this point? We don't. Yeah. And But we're going to sort of try to guide you in this show with what we know, what we don't know necessarily but have premonitions on, and what we need blanks filled in on. We're also going to be joined, we talked about... Uh, Coach Ray, uh, we are also going to have George Marinopoulos joining us. JB said his name right. I spelled it wrong on our screen. We're trying to fix that, uh, but uh, there will be some remnants of it still uh, here and there on the screen when we're doing that, so we apologize to him and the Marinopoulos family. That means he has to come back for his senior season so that we can correct the error next time. So we'll, we'll talk to him about whether or not he and his teammates look to do so since they're seniors at this point. It's going to be an interesting question for a lot of these schools. So, a lot coming up here. Stay tuned. What we want to do here, uh, first, let's look at the NCAA guidance uh, to the degree we have it here. Uh, And this was before the July guidance. Uh, May 29th, minimum number of contests required for sports sponsorship and championship selection uh, has been reduced by 33%. That means five games minimum in uh, Division III for football. And, uh, you know, our take on this, uh, also from June 11th, uh, the information we have uh, from there, uh, the first practice date being August 10th, it gives flexibility. Uh, it almost replaces spring practice to a certain degree, especially if we start later in September, ultimately. So a lot of schools are going to start earlier, it looks like. A lot of them, not all of them. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we lost two weeks of spring practice. So... There it is, essentially, if we don't kick off until mid-September to late September for these schools. So that's the guidance as we have it. And what we do know is this. Not much, football-wise, unfortunately, (laughs) until at least a couple weeks from now. So far, several D3 schools have announced no football in the fall. In some conferences, the SCIAC, OAC, uh, have decided on not playing any non-conference games. We have good news and bad news. Good news is the vast majority of East Region schools have announced they plan to return to on-campus instruction in the fall. The bad news, athletics across the board is still pretty much to be decided, by many at least. And given the rise of COVID-19 in certain parts of the country, Arizona, Texas, Florida, administrators in the NCAA could be getting cold feet. Indeed, uh, that's a possibility. But yep. we're gonna be go- doing, here's a breakdown by conference of what we know about reopening so far. We thought we would actually Treat this like a normal show for a moment here. It's time to actually speed it up just a little bit. We are going to go into crunch time. COVID edition, unfortunately, here for what's happening in fall 2020 to the degree we have it. Okay, let's start in the CCC. What we're going to do is uh, put up all the schools uh, that we have information on, essentially, and then pick out one or two to talk about in each case that might be leading the pack on the uh, details. Uh, I would probably point to on this uh, screen that there's a lot of TBDs going on. And this seems to be a, a commonality in New England, that they're reopening, it looks like, but we're not really sure when in a lot of cases, like here, the MASCAC, et cetera. We'll get to those in a, a little bit. Uh, but, you know, Endicott uh, on 9-2 uh, is an interesting later opening than most, and I wonder if that doesn't get pushed up by a couple of weeks with everything else that's going on, JB. 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, a lot of what we're seeing in the in kind of the, the media is that uh, schools are, are allowing some wiggle room to slowly bring uh, students back into campus. So maybe there's an official start date of September 2nd, for instance, but you could see students starting to slowly be integrated back into um, their respective colleges, the towns, et cetera, starting as early as uh, August 10th or 17th. So there might be a two or three week kind of runway periods, particularly for the incoming um, you know, uh, first year classes to get orientation done, to kind of get them settled into campus. So I think you'll see more of a gradual um, return to campus, but places like Endicott and others are, are at least saying that, hey, this is the day that we're going to open uh, open up the campus sort of officially where we'll have in-person classes and not just online, although there's going to be plenty of uh, hybrid uh, models and online options. Uh, the only other one that sort of jumped out to me, Frank, was Nichols basically yep. kind of staying completely silent since March. Um, Becker hasn't really put anything out there, but they did say something to the effect that they plan to have some kind of on-campus graduation for the class of 2020, which would assume that classes were in session. So still a little bit TBD, but to Governor Baker's credit, hey, how about that? Uh, the state of Massachusetts is doing pretty well. Um, so the incidences of COVID have really decreased there. They've done a nice job um, you know, getting that whole situation handled. So in theory, it should help. And there will be some other Massachusetts schools that we'll talk about a little later on that we're kind of waiting to see uh, how their fates might be decided. And hopefully um, some of the good news in Massachusetts could be that, that it helps them get back on the field. We'll see. Let's go to the ECFC and a couple things jump out of me here. Gallaudet, uh, which is already a, a tough scenario for them to play college football, but they've adapted so well with the limitations they have there. Uh, they, they have not uh, decided as of uh, the last time we looked for information, and uh, I'm curious to see if they do or don't play ultimately down there. Uh, they're also in a geographic challenge location for uh, you know, a lot of the teams that they face are in the Northeast and now Keystone as well. Keystone is opening with an 824 to 1125 semester, but not sure about their football uh, situation. If we'll actually get a kickoff from Keystone or not uh, this year uh, for their first ever D3 season. And uh, SUNY Maritime reopening with a 98 to 1211 semester. This is an interesting departure from what the norm is, but remember, it is a military school, a state military school. And they are shortening their summer sea term to 36 days from 60. And the cadets will return uh, on July 13th for uh, 36 days. So hopefully they get there safely and uh, we have some good news coming from there since they'll be one of the first to open in some format like that. Let's uh, jump over to the MASCAC, which I was alluding to earlier, and I'll let you pick out a couple here that you see, but I will point out Westfield State 9-2, Worcester State 9-2, Framingham State 9-2. So the state schools may be toying, going a little bit later than the private schools are. Brockport sort of was the very end of August, uh, we'll talk about later. Uh, so a New York State school having that same kind of... Mm -hmm question about going later in August or earlier in September as an open date. Interesting. Uh, MASCAC has not made any real announcements on football that we can tell, but we are assuming so far that they're looking to play, probably with no crowds. What are you thinking? Well, the one thing that Ma the MASCAC has going for it is that this conference is fairly dense, and from a regional perspective, it's pretty much mostly Worcester and then a little bit of sort of the southeastern um, uh, shore of Massachusetts. So there isn't a whole lot of travel going on over here. Um, you know, the exception being uh, West, West Con down in Danbury, Connecticut, which is close to New York City, which could be a challenge. 
as well as um, you know Plymouth State being up in New Hampshire. But once again, sort of these more rural uh, locations have not been as negatively affected by the whole uh, COVID pandemic. So I have a feeling that um, you know all these schools will probably um, you know continue to move forward with a sort of a hybrid uh, model. It's interesting that Mass Dartmouth is still working on it and that they haven't um, put anything out yet. Uh, we got to know the Corsairs a little bit better during the 2019 season, and we know that Stephen Gaychuk and company are, have a lot of um, you know, positive momentum going into this season, so hopefully we'll hear from them soon. But good news, sort of tight-packed you know, regional uh, setup and format. Even if they did just a, a conference-only uh, calendar, it wouldn't affect, uh, in theory, shouldn't affect them uh, too greatly, but time will tell. Good point. Uh, and now let's go to the new Mac. And uh, we have two military schools. Make that three military schools, I should say, uh, in this pack here that yeah. make things a little bit interesting. Norwich is reopening again, eight thirty-one to eleven twenty-five. There's Merchant Marine, uh, no formal dates, and Coast Guard, no formal dates that we have at this point in time. I did have a quick update from uh, from our friend Jason over at Coast Guard. They are bringing back the core. About 50% or so will go into the classroom, while others will take class online from their room to adhere to social distance rules. All the freshmen are reporting in a few days on July 8th. Uh, so the plebes wow. are, are showing up. I imagine uh, that the uh, U.S. Merchant Marine and some of these other military academy uh, types of places uh, like that are, are probably looking at a, at a July start. They're just... And probably just being careful and not uh, putting out a lot of um, info into the press for now uh, because it is coming up pretty quick. No doubt. Uh, again, we don't have much football information for these schools. Still waiting on this conference to really give us any kind of insight uh, to the degree uh, they can provide us any. Uh, I say that because I think we started getting some bad news from the following conference uh, starting this week or even starting last week, and this is where things started, I think, the domino effect, unfortunately, the NESCAT. Um, at this point, we know Amherst, Bowden, and Williams are definitively no fall sports, no football. Uh, it looks like Trinity is sort of following suit-ish. I, I, it's tough to tell exactly how they're yeah, handling it. Their, their, their language was basically staying to the effect there would be limited, you know, either on or off campus type of travel allowed and that type of thing, which basically, you know, you can't go play a, a game if you can't get on a bus and hit the road. So, uh, you know, honestly, Frank, I think like you said from back in April, I mean, we knew that this, that this conference was probably going to head in this direction. Um, to me, really the more important question marks that I have is what do um, some like-minded institutions that like we, we just, uh, we didn't talk about on the prior slide, but like MIT, um, what about WPI, especially with RPI deciding to, uh, you know, to not play? You know, are those schools and the new Mac going to uh, be influenced by the NESCAC decision or by the, the Ivy Leagues and what have you? So um, time will tell. Not as big surprise that the NESCAC is stepping away. Um, in a few uh, minutes, we'll talk about, you know, the reality is spring football possible. Coach Ray from Williams has a mixed opinion on that. I know some people are for it. Some people aren't sure it's such a great idea more on that in a bit yeah let's go over to the empire eight if i can get my slide over here we go uh and uh it's mentioned a little bit go. ago brockport just got uh authorization yesterday or mm -hmm. on july 1st uh to reopen on the uh, 31st of august they're excited for that it looks like uh, they had to get a reapproval uh submitted to new york state and uh, look all these uh schools that have state after them or that are state schools like portland and morrisville 
uh, need to do the same things. And so that's why uh, we don't necessarily have updates from Morrisville still. And Cortland, I think, is still as well. Uh, looking at the 831 start, but not sure they can open yet. I can't see why they wouldn't. They were one of the first regions to go to phase four in New York, which is, which is our highest phase in the interim. Um, everybody else, uh, Utica gave us a little bit of a clue here uh, as to what the Empire 8 may be doing, uh, saying that they will adopt the Empire 8 conference-only game schedule, including a five-week conference schedule with championships during week six. Now, what that means maybe for football is a little bit unclear, but that's at least probably their approach for other sports uh, besides football, maybe football too. You can't tell, but if they were going to do that, they would need six weeks technically to play uh, yeah. in terms of a conference schedule. So I don't know how that pans out, but we thought we'd include that to at least be somewhat, you know, total on what we're uh, reporting at this point. Comprehensive, that's the word I'm looking for. But uh, that's the umpire eight. I'm going to let you take over right now at the Liberty League, however, because uh, your alma mater has some good information about what the Liberty League is uh, going to be doing. Go ahead. Yeah, so... Um, Hobart released a statement uh, yesterday, basically effect, you know, is confirming the originally um, proposed plan of the August 24th to uh, November 25th uh, fall semester. Um, in this update, though, there was uh, some information on athletics, and so they do plan to play um, football games along with all you know, the other sports uh, starting around uh, September 26th. There were some other um, athletics contests that would start actually September 19th. Um, I think maybe in soccer or some other, uh, uh, some other types of um, teams, team types of sports, but basically it sounds like, and I wouldn't be surprised if the empire eight didn't follow suit that they would have, you know, all conference games plus uh, the two out of conference games. Now in the case of Hobart um, weeks one through four are scheduled against out-of-conference uh, teams. The first one was Alfred, which um, I guess now is canceled, but at the same time, Alfred and Hobart have now an open date on October 10th, so maybe they play that game then. We'll see. Uh, same thing for Hobart and SUNY Morrisville, who are supposed to play in Week 2. They could technically play on October 24th if they wanted to reschedule that. So ultimately, I think all the schedules that are out there that we're seeing are going to morph um, considerably, uh, given this more in-conference in types of uh, game. And it wouldn't surprise me if, if um, the Liberty League and the Empire 8, not only just based on you know prior agreements, but the geographic proximity, once again, similar to the MassCAC, all these schools are within about 180-mile radius, give or take. Um, the COVID instances up in uh, that central part of, of uh, New York, both towards Buffalo on the west side, as well as up, you know, in the north of Albany, where places like St. Lawrence are, very, very low um, uh, rates of infections. And so, in theory, you know, kind of keeping it regionalized should help um, these student-athletes should uh, season actually get underway. Union has not announced yet. RPI obviously has announced uh, to the no. Again, George Marinopoulos coming up later in the show. Uh, otherwise, uh, you're pointing out Hobart's open dates include now that RPI open date that they could technically refill with that non-conference opponent. We'll see what they do or if they'll keep it as a buy ultimately or maybe play a uh, conference opponent twice, uh, one as a non-conference game, which is something that some conferences are doing like the MIAA uh, that they're going to wrap around their non-conference games as actually conference opponents for a second time. There's a lot of things you can do in these situations, but as you point out, if you're keeping it all in the New York family, you can still play out-of-conference games safely, technically, according to infection statistics that exist here. 
And Jack, uh, TCNJ, reopening but canceled all high-contact fall sports. That's football included. Wesley, we don't know what the hell is happening with that school right now. We'll talk more <laughs> about their financial status coming up in a little bit. Uh, everybody else uh, reopening, it looks like, but will football occur? I don't know. There have been some ideas about Rowan. Maybe, maybe not because of TCNJ. Uh, we have heard nothing so far, positive or negative. Again, uh, you know, you see a variation in the lots of different plans here uh, from these schools. Uh, William Patterson uh, said they'd have something out by 629. I had not seen the answer to that still uh, when I just looked on uh, their website. So I'm assuming that is still delayed as they've been watching other things play out around. And also, let's go to the Mac here. Last but not least, everybody looks like they are formally reopening uh, and whatnot. But uh, again... Yep. Football, the MAC conference itself has put out some statements that make it look like they are trying like heck to play football this season. Whether the individual institutions are going to go along with it, that is a whole different question. But remember, we have 11 schools here listed. So even if one doesn't decide to come back for the 2020 season, you'd still have plenty of games to play, especially in this kind of hybrid scenario we've been looking at where you don't play a full 10-game schedule, uh, possibly. So... That's the Mac. Those yeah. are the conferences. And let me just say, that is crunch time, COVID edition for fall 2020 to the degree we have it. Didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll just say the same thing uh, with the Mac kind of MASCAC and the Liberty League Empire. Once again, you have a very um, sort of dense uh, conference from a regional perspective. Pretty much all Pennsylvania schools, with the exception of FDU, Florham, and Stevenson being in New Jersey and Maryland, um, respectively. Now, we know that Jen Noon, the AD of, of FDU, is on um, this sort of task force uh, committee. So I have a feeling that, um, you know, the Devils will have some representation. Uh, but as you said, I mean, if, especially if they do go to a shortened schedule, there's uh, almost there's almost too many teams um, for them to be able to, to, to fully play each other. So we might get into some interesting, um, you know, tiebreaker or round robin uh, types of situations, uh, depending on Welcome what to the kind Mac, of playoff system. <laughs> yeah. So, what, so it's basically the same thing as every other year. Um, but of course, you know, Del Val is going to probably come in as a very heavy favorite, um, even with some of the graduation losses like Dan Allen and, and uh, uh, Fontana, their quarterback. They have some, you know, some roles to, to fill, but still Del Val, probably your likely, uh, you know, number one uh, seed, so to speak, coming into the season. But time will tell um, what schedule wise happens in, in that big conference. Let's go to the other notables that uh, we did not put into crunch time because they're outside the East, but Johns Hopkins has a task force, no updates. Muhlenberg reopening 824 to 1120, so is Susquehanna and the uh, Centennial Conference. Mm -hmm. uh, in the pack, uh, Case Western Reserve reopening date to be decided, and Grove City reopening with an 824 start date. Looks like the pack also is attempting to get football as normal. But the Centennial Conference, we're hearing all kinds of things, like even possibility of spring football there. Spring. Let's yeah. go backward, though, in our discussion essentially with uh about the NESCAC for a minute here and we had this question of spring football that's been coming up are they all canceling because they're looking at the ivy league principle which is about a week away from being announced possibly of a spring football season yep. i will say out front folks i've heard i know plenty of attorneys out there i am one 
I'm not a, a personal injury guy, but let me just be fully honest with you here. Playing 18, yeah, okay. yeah, 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 18 <laughs> to 22 football games in an eight to nine month period is probably more dangerous than anything you're trying to avoid right now by playing uh, the way we could be doing it in the fall. Uh, between the trauma of hits, it's a rough sport. Okay, we've never denied the fact football is a rough sport. And the question is risk becomes, Yes. Yep. The question becomes, is it any better? And a lot of people we've talked to, not everybody, but a lot of people we've talked to have really questioned that approach because of the danger involved. Some people will say, hey, we're already doing spring practice and we've already got, th- got well, things we're doing. I got, I got- I got a I got a you know, devil's advocate right here. So Go ahead. Um, a coach a, a coach of uh, that we know um, did message uh, us basically making the following argument: you know, D one plays football three times a calendar year, uh, time off, and then you know there's a bowl game, more time off, and then a live spring session. So not exactly apples to apples, but compared to not playing, um, in their opinion, spring is something to seriously consider. Uh, you know, there's we've heard on both sides of the fence, you know, sort of the pros and, and the cons. Like, you know, there's some of the uh, the medical uh, dis- types of questions that you have um, brought up just now. We've heard from some parents that like, you know, spring football, like if my kid's a senior, they're supposed to be interviewing for jobs. They're supposed to be you know getting wrapped up with graduation and stuff like that. Can you really juggle both? I mean, I think most of these kids are pretty capable and intelligent and would figure it out. But there's a lot there's a lot that go into this um, situation. And also it'll be interesting to see on July 8th what the Ivy League sort of precedent is set at and if other leagues follow them. Remember, a lot of football players play lacrosse and baseball, for instance, which are spring sports. Many That's coaches true. in Division Three of football are also assistant coaches or full-time coaches of those same types of sports. And so I, I really have to question, are they basically cutting off their nose to spite their face with this entire approach that, hey, uh, we're going to save your football season, but the hell with your lacrosse and baseball opportunities, guys. It, it doesn't fully embrace everything. And there's too late, really, to put lacrosse and baseball back into the fall to basically flip the whole situation around. So yeah. I, I, you're, try, you're trying to get on uh, a little taller, I, I can see. But, uh, you know, I am shorter than you. I get it, Jamie. You don't have to prove it to everybody. Uh, but... You know, resource-wise, do you have enough training staffs uh, to go around for that as well? Football is a multiple training member sport. Let's not forget that. Lacrosse isn't exactly a walk in the park either. So a lot of things to go into that. But when the NESCAC began to sort of fall one by one, Bowdoin first, uh, and we understand at Bowdoin they're going to not furlough, not furlough, uh, their football coaches. Must be nice to have the money to be able to do that and commit to that right now to a certain degree, to the degree that it was committed or yep. that at least we're hearing about it. We went to Coach Mark Raymond of Williams and asked him the questions of, you know, what this all means. What about that spring football? What happened? How did you find out? And what do you feel about it? And what do your players feel about it? And let's go to that interview with Coach Mark Raymond of Williams. And JB, Coach Raymond has been uh, good enough to join us here. Uh, uh, what is a uh, sad week over at Williams for uh, the athletics department? Obviously, they have to make the announcement that they are not going to be participating in fall twenty twenty sports. Uh, Coach Raymond, thanks for joining us. And how are you feeling right now after the announcement was made? 
Yeah, well, thanks for uh, asking me on, guys. Great to, great to see you guys. I uh, love the work you do. Um, yeah, obviously, disappointment is probably the uh, uh, the choice word. Um, we've had a lot of you know discussions the last couple couple months uh, kind of prepare us for this, but when you know it actually comes down, it, it certainly hurts. And um, we've been doing our best to uh, you know, reach out to the players. We have a, we'll have a team meeting tonight, um, talk to the parents, and you know just uh, work on on uh, moving forward. Right, this is uh, a time now where it's like, hey, we're now going to build towards fall 21 and and uh do do to to put uh, the best team on the field then so um we got to be positive as we can coach one of the um one of your uh competitor competitors uh in the in the nescac uh, bates college uh, put out an announcement today you know that with their fall reopening plan um there were some lines in there about athletics it was a little more open-ended um than what we saw from bowden and williams uh including some language about fall sports being possibly put towards the spring um you know you're you're you've been you know professional coach what are the what are sort of the the realities, kind of the pros and the cons of, of trying to switch stuff out of seasons? Is that is that kind of a realistic type of uh, type of model? I know the Ivies have talked about it, but you know, being a being someone who's been in the business for a long time, what would be some of the the challenges to overcome in that case? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of talk about that recently. Um, you know, there's there's a few, obviously, you know. We, um, the NCAA would have to approve that. So there are, you know, laws on the books that, you know, state you'd have to, you know, uh, get a clearance to do that. So that would be probably be the first, um, you know, order of business. And secondly, I think, especially for schools uh, like Williams, you know, there's there's resources that are, are lack thereof that you have to deal with. We have 32 sports here on campus and then trying to double up in the spring uh, would really put a, a huge strain on our on our support staff, on our on our sports medicine, on our facilities people. Um, so, you know, in, in addition, you know, probably finishing up winter sports at that time. So, you know, for to to do that would take a a, a big um, a big effort and maybe you know not too realistic for for us. I mean, obviously we we want to play and do the best we can, but also we want to make great sound decisions. And then of course, who knows, you know, playing a spring season ending in May and then turning around, starting a, a fall season in, in August, you know, how, how wise that is for the health of the players. So I think all those would, would go into those decisions. Yeah. And for those that may not realize uh, what coach is saying, this has come up over the last 24 hours for a few different people that would mean playing 18 games in the case of the NESCAC possibly over nine months. Uh, for the Ivy League, it could be 20 to 22 games, depending on what their schedules would look like ultimately, yeah. which, you know, in terms of conditioning and just what football does to the human body, it's not a gentle sport. It could be a real concern out there for sure, and it needs to be looked at indeed, not to mention the football, lacrosse, baseball crossover at a lot of these D3 schools as well. Coach, um, one of the factors that a lot of people don't think about is the effect this has on the coaches who this is their livelihood. This is, you know, their paycheck and how they raise their family and everything else. You don't do this stuff for free as much as you enjoy it, uh, we know. 
Uh, what has uh, Williams said? Uh, from our understanding, Bowden is not going to be going into furlough mode, which is good news. Yeah. Uh, is Williams kind of in the same track right now from what you can tell? Are coaches going to be able to still be paid through this year or at least this term? What are you hearing so far? Yeah, I mean, um, very fortunate to work at a place like Williams where, um, you know, so much effort and time and concern has been taken for our, our student athletes, our students, staff, faculty. So, um, you know, that was kind of their, their biggest concern uh, was to help support us. So there's no, ind- no indication at this point that we would uh, be furloughed. I think they, uh, a lot of us still will, will teach in the fall. A lot of us hope to at least work uh, with our players in small groups. Um, so we, we still plan adding a lot of value to, you know, the educational experience for those kids who are still on campus and then providing support for those uh, guys who, who are uh, learning remotely. So, um, you know, even though we won't have a season, our, our, our job won't end. And, and thankfully, our, um, our administration really uh, values athletics as part of the um, educational process here. So uh, we'll, we'll do the best we can to support our guys and, and still teach them. And like I said, still give them those valuable lessons that football brings. Um, we'll just be done without competition, unfortunately. Yeah, and coach, I mean, I imagine you've been on the phone a lot with the with the players and their their families, and I'm sure you've heard a lot of what I'm what I assume most people are guessing are sort of the typical questions of like, well, what does this mean? How does what's going to happen? Um, I've seen sort of mixed um, mixed stuff out there on what it means more for the seniors and whether or not you know if they decide that they want to you know, play their senior year, if that's an option that the college is going to give them, or if it's something like they basically have to. To choose to um, to graduate or, or, or not, um, what are some of the the major questions that you're uh, you're receiving, and what are you telling um, you know, the the East players and their families? Yeah, uh, great question. I mean, so it impacts um, kids in certain ways, right? For especially for those seniors who this is their last opportunity, so they they'll have to make decisions whether they can. Um, you know, either take a, a leave of absence for a semester or for the year to to preserve their final season. So they're going through those, um, you know, decisions with their families right now. So, and with that, there's a lot of other implications, right? Some guys are already lined up for jobs next June. Some some people it's financial. Some people it's it's um, you know just a certain timing. So a lot of guys are are um, you know talking amongst uh, their teammates and their coaches and families trying to figure out what's best for them and and how can they um, you know come back for their for their senior year that means uh, so much for them so uh, we're trying to help them through that and our school has set up some some great resources we have town halls with our athletic directors and deans and, and, and you know that, uh, the support that um, you know our administration's giving the kids right now is is, is awesome Coach, we uh, had set up a poll in May, uh, in mid-May, basically asking student athletes in Division Three, uh, specifically for college football, if they wanted to play with or without a waiver. Uh, you know, against the liability issues for COVID. Back in May, it was about sixty-four percent uh, yes with waiver, eleven percent without. Uh, so, you know, it, it was a good overall showing, but a lot of not sure's as well. This time around, we have about. A 10% bump of yeses and the not sures have dropped off. The no's have gone up a little bit as well, but not by much. Is that kind of the gist of what your players have been saying as well, that they wanted to play uh, in, you know, that's 
the consensus generally you saw with your team from what you have seen over your Zoom meetings and whatnot? Well, yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? As, as you guys know from, from the data, it's, it, um, the younger populations, right, the, the college-age kids um, are affected uh, less um, than, than um, in general than people that are my age and above. So um, I think they, they see less, less risk. Um, but I think a lot of our guys understand, too, it's not just about them, right? It's about the other people on our campus, the staff, the faculty, the people in town, their parents, grandparents who, who may be more vulnerable. So where I think that, yeah, of course, they, they are more likely to um, take more risks. Um, personally, um, it's about uh, the bigger picture and knowing uh, they're part of something bigger than them is is most important thing. So, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about that. So that's, the, I think, the the, the hardest thing to reconcile, right? It's, it's not just us, it's it's everybody else that's, that uh, is in this community. Um, so, and I think, you know, they, they, they've come to realize that, you know, hey, this is the best thing for everybody as much as we don't like it. And um, we're, uh, we're gonna do our best to, to make the most of it. Well, you're saying you're, you know, older than us, but I think we're closer than in age than than we want to admit, Coach. And you know, one of the, selfishly, I have a, I have a question as a, you know, as a parent. I mean, I've got um, you know a couple of uh, 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 twins, my my stepsons that are rising seniors in high school. I can't even imagine what it's like for the parents who were probably thrilled that their sons got into Williams, which is no small feat in and of itself. Um, one of the most you know, elite you know, colleges in the country has been for centuries. I mean, what are the kind of questions are you getting from from these families, especially, you know, guys who are coming in, you know, they thought they were going to be doing being student athletes. I mean, there's, they can still to a certain extent, you know, practice and, and learn, you know, your playbook and, and be, you know, in great shape to be ready to go for 2021. But for those families, what have been some of the, the thoughts, concerns, I mean, are they, is, is there talk of now like gap years and you know, deferring and what, what's going on with that population? Yeah. So yeah, right. In addition to the seniors, it's those, um, you know, freshmen coming in that are uh, really having to, to figure it out as, as well. And our school, um, you know, has made a decision that they will allow um, incoming freshmen to defer and our, um, Current students to uh, take a leave of absence um, without, uh, you know, with no questions asked. So that's an incredible gesture by by the school to do that. So I think um, you know the freshmen are trying to figure out, hey, you know, should I enter college at this point? Should I, you know, um, go on campus? Should I, you know, stay at home to learn remotely, or should I just take the gap year? So again, that's those are kind of the three things facing them. Um, understanding that at some point um, down there in their college time here in their four years, they could take a, a spring off to preserve their fourth season. So, um, you know, they're, they're, those guys do have some flexibility in their, in their, in their calendar because uh, they're just getting started. Okay, Coach, Williams football. Let's talk Williams Eves football, though. Uh, after kind of a stumble out of the gate against what was ultimately the champion of the conference last year, Middlebury, you guys finished 7-2, and two, uh, and your only other loss was, I think, a six-pointer against Wesleyan uh, later in the season. You were a contender uh, for all intents and purposes, even though people kind of wrote you off after game one. 
And I, I think you guys had a little bit of momentum, it felt like, even though you might have had some major graduations uh, coming into this year. What does this do to a program like Williams if we don't play in the fall or the spring? How does it affect your program, the momentum, the spirit you have about it, and the players for that matter? And does it hurt at a different level personally because you guys were building that momentum from, I think, five and four to seven and two, basically? Yeah, that's a great question, and and I'd be lying if I you know, told you I had all the answers. I mean, uh, it's things we've been working through, um, you know, day to day, and I'm really proud of um, the players and, and my staff who, over the last four, four and a half months, have really stuck together um, over Zoom calls and meetings and, and really having a good time and really continuing to build a, as a team. Um, so once we, we sort through, you know, all, all the numbers side of it, hey, who's going to be able to come back? Who's going to, you know, um, make, what decisions are being made? We'll, we'll have an idea of uh, what our team will look like from a personnel standpoint. Um, and then we'll, we'll just continue on, our, on our, our normal path, so to speak, to, to um, you know, get better and, and, and really uh, come together. So. Um, again, this is such a, a unique time for everyone. Um, but I, like I said, I, I'm really proud of, of what our guys have done in, in this time. And we've told them, you know, the, the lights will come back on for us uh, at some point, And we're going to be accountable for this time um, that we're away. Uh, at some point, you're going to line up with somebody. And uh, whoever spent this time most productively is going to have the advantage. And I really want that to be us. So we're just going to keep driving, take care of each other, um, stay safe, and, and, and uh, get ready for another season at some point. Well, Coach, um, we, we go a ways back. Uh, for people who might have only gotten to know in the huddle over the last couple of seasons, don't realize that you know we've, we've known you for a while back when you were the head coach at St. Lawrence and you took an 0-10 program to a conference title and a, and a playoff appearance. And... Um, you know, the legend has it that you uh, could outbench anybody in the locker room. And I'm just wondering, I mean, you know, we're getting a little gray around here and there, you know, oh. can you still, are you still the strongest guy in Williamstown? Because, I'm, you know, I mean, I uh. imagine you're getting some good recruits around the country, but, you know, what's going on with the bench coach? I mean, you used to be the, the yeah. you know, the man up, up in the North Country. What's going on now? Yeah, I think I lost that title um, a while ago. I've been, uh, you know, has it hasn't been good for me. We we need to uh, get back in shape. I have no one to blame. The, can't blame the quarantine. It's just been, you know, laziness, come, I guess. But you guys are both in shape. Come on, coach. Give us a single arm. Come on. Come on. Give us a single arm. Come on. If I can do it. Do it. <laughs> Coach is a well-built uh, man, folks. He's being very humble right now. I'm not going to mess with Coach. No, absolutely not. Coach, one thing uh, I do want to ask you in all seriousness, uh, yeah. we know different players from different schools. It's, this is one of the uh, worst-kept secrets out there. We, we know of cases of COVID that have affected players from th uh, teams across the country. Are you aware of any Williams players without naming names or anything like that? Have, have people in your team gone through it, and what has the experience been from what you can tell if they have? Yeah, I, we've only had one confirmed um, case, and that was back um, in March. Um, other than that, um, our guys have been you know, very disciplined and, and been able to really uh, uh, stay you know, COVID-free. 
um, along with their, their families. So uh, we, we've been pretty fortunate as a, as, a, uh, as a team here. Well, it's good, and we hope that that continues for sure, that uh, yeah. things go well uh, for these uh, you know, families, these players, et cetera, that Williams uh, gets through this term. Regardless of football, there are still risks uh, in terms of the you know, reassociation of players uh, being out there. And we uh, wish everybody luck. Uh, Want to give you uh, any shout-outs uh, that you would like to make uh, before we let you go here. Uh, friends, family, team uh, members, uh, coaches, whatever you want. Uh, and we may be, uh, you know, tapping you on the shoulder, become a guest analyst to the degree we have a season here for season 13, because I think we could learn a thing or 900 uh, from you uh, this season. But any shout outs you want to make, Coach? No, guys, I just really appreciate you uh, reaching out and appreciate what you guys do. And and uh, as uh, JB said, I uh, go back, uh, back to 2010 with you guys and uh, – you guys have done a phenomenal job and have treated uh, myself and uh, St. Lawrence and Williams uh, with, with class and respect. And I, I really, uh, really appreciate it. Um, and I just hope, uh, wish everybody uh, well and to stay safe and are able to uh, get back on uh, uh, the college football uh, train here as soon as possible. But until then, we're, we're uh, stay busy and work hard. And, uh, and uh, I hope to talk to you guys in the fall, no matter what. Yeah, that would be that would be awesome because I, I have seen you you do a pretty good uh, chalk talk like tape show I've noticed on YouTube the Williams uh, College sort of they a little football channel you guys started the last few years we kind of break down some of the game film and stuff so we're we're definitely going to be giving you a call at some point coach we uh, uh, you know we're just a couple of you know hacks over here so we're you know doing our best that we can and we'll need, we'll need some we'll need some professional help from time to time but thanks again for joining us and uh, especially during these unprecedented uh, times and we wish uh, you and the rest of the uh, Williams College Eves football family all the best and and we'll look forward to uh, you know seeing you guys get back at it in 2021 all right guys I appreciate it stay stay safe and best to you and your in your families thanks to coach Ray on that one uh, and JB you know it's it's tough to hear him talk about his own team that's when he got a little bit more emotional and personal about this whole thing about <laughs> The momentum and how you deal with this now after you know kind of that Middlebury loss which was the eventual champ Close to go call. seven and two yeah. yep uh, you know six points to Wesleyan and you know everything else that happened uh last season and I'll be ready hey let's let's get, take that momentum to where there's no momentum being had now even if you go into the spring with this uh, season things are going to be a little bit different ultimately compared to you know being ready to go uh, over spring over summer and here we go with fall and we're going to do this what do you think yeah i mean i think uh you know like most people in this situation and now we're up to five schools uh that have canceled football and there's about a dozen that have canceled fall sports in total uh, you know Coach Ray can only control so much. I mean, he's going to have an opportunity to still teach, um, you know, certain, you know, techniques and work with his players on schemes and and some best practices and stuff like that. But it's just not the same as getting, you know, ready for uh, a you know game every week and chasing a championship, which ultimately is, you know, his goal since he he uh, joined Williams about five seasons ago. So yeah, I imagine it's probably a bittersweet pill to to have to swallow. He he, um, you know, obviously is supportive of the you know, the administration's decision, uh, but I'm sure he doesn't like it, uh, for, particularly for uh, the affected players and their families. But you know, at the end of the day, um, 
you know, fortunately he's, he's a head coach, not, not getting furloughed or his staff is basically should be, you know, quote unquote protected and, and, um, you know, they'll do what they can to, uh, you know, move forward. And, and hopefully in 2021, they can try to get back that same momentum, whether it's in the spring or fall or both. We have more information here we want to share with you, some of which we've alluded to in uh, different parts of the show or that interview. And let's look at the potential COVID-19 impacts a little bit here, because these are important. This is what we're doing this for at the end of the day and why we question some of the approaches by certain schools ultimately. Uh, first off, let's start with the CDC best estimate from late May estimates that 0.26% is the fatality rate overall in the, uh, in the U.S., but will drop you know, when we take it to just under 50 years old. Uh, to less than 0.04%. That's 0.04% for under 50 years of age. So when you add available data about 18 to 22 year olds in comparison to that, in reality, it is below 0.01% for that group, probably a lot lower than 0.01% based on the numbers we have seen. And we will add that we are currently unaware of any D3 football players that have died from COVID-19. Let's stop there for a second and discuss when we bring out these statistics, the general you know beatdown we get with this is that oh, it's not about them dying, the students and their student athletes. It's about it's about mom and dad and grandma and grandpa them bringing it home to them or to people in the community, etc. I want to state something clearly here. We talked to plenty of coaches. We know of plenty of cases of COVID that have hit players in Division Three. Again, we know of no fatalities from them. I'm not trying to make light of that situation or you know, use it as some kind of proof of anything. I'm just stating facts to you folks right now. Okay, We know of two in particular. We asked the question, did you, once you knew or had fear of the fact you were COVID positive, did you quarantine from your family? And the answer was absolutely yes. They had access to the ability to get out of the house and to somewhere else and did so for the weeks that they needed to, to their credit. Folks, 18 to 22 year olds in this country are allowed to vote, uh, you know, fight for military in the military, drive, uh, drink if they're over 21, and even smoke in most areas, uh, depending on the age, uh, you know, in that state. So the notion that they don't know what to do or that they would risk their family's lives if they had any premonition they were positive, be it at the end of the term or during the term they needed to go home for something or because they're a commuter or whatever. The notion that they're going to somehow put their family in harm's way is not a very compelling argument right now. I get the asymptomatic questions that exist, but... If we make part of the bargain of to exit campus, you have to take an immediate test with the, you know, the five minute result or whatever it is these days before you can actually leave campus for any kind of period of time, then let that happen. Or, you know, other rules that will at least protect it. But this notion that it's not about the students, it's about their families. It doesn't hold much water to me. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, and I understand, you know, where folks are, are kind of going with the, um, you know, it's it's about the broader community and what it could introduce. You know, I think at the end of the day, um, both from a scientific perspective and kind of a policy uh, one, what we've seen over the last, you know, going on four months now, is that there um, there are certain key characteristics that, um, 
you know, folks at the CDC, who, and you know, the Dr. Fauci's of the world have identified who are really uh, at risk for this. And you know, there are certain practices like you know, social distancing, like this. I mean, you know, I, I, I know the obvious argument is like, well, you know, you can't social distance um, playing football because you're you know lined up over each other and tackling. But we've also heard some scientific facts around how it's almost impossible to get the coronavirus if you're in an outdoor, well-ventilated space. Um, yeah, I think a lot of the uptick in this uh, in, in this pandemic has been due to um, some lax behavior of what, you know, especially down here in Florida, what we're seeing is, you know, probably shouldn't have opened the bars um, as early as we did. And the 25 to 35 year olds that have all been, you know, testing positive for it down here probably shouldn't have gone in and not worn masks or packed into a tight space. And, you know, it's just some of it's common sense. So, um, you know, going back to the, uh, like the Hobart athletics plan, I do think that schools are going to have to be very careful in how they monitor. Um, and, you know, we might see some seasons that go, that get derailed even before they have a chance to get on the field or they might play a couple of games and then, um, you know, the season gets canceled. But I feel like um, given the short window uh, that these uh, young people have uh, to play this sport and to have a collegiate experience, um, that there is a little bit of risk that's worth taking to at least try and do it to the best uh, of the different institutions' ability. Uh, and, you know, it seems like this this whole thing has been hard to pin down from day one, and that sort of has led to a little bit of, of fear, maybe some irrational things going on here and there. Uh, but at the end of the day, there are a lot of facts. There's a lot of um, science. Dr. Agus from USC, who I follow pretty closely um, in social media, CBS, and he's on the Howard Stern Show all the time, has provided lots of what I think are encouraging updates uh, about the availability of a potential vaccine, you know, how to, how to, uh, you know, handle the social distancing and all that. I think we're, I think we're getting there. I think um, maybe I'm a little overly optimistic or full of it. Who knows? I, but I, I have a feeling that if, you know, the guidelines are, are out there, you kind of know what you should and shouldn't do. I mean, I guess we'll sort of have to wait and see what happens over the next uh, few months because, the death rate's gone down, um, and there's a number of reasons why I think that is. Uh, it's been written about in the New York Times and other newspapers. But, um, yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see what the data tells us in July, if there's a, all of a sudden an uptick in hospitalizations. I know Texas is pretty bad right now, but like here in Orlando, I mean, while our cases have doubled or tripled, um, the hospitalizations in Orange County, where the city of Orlando is in, has gone up by about 40 or 50 people. And this is a 2.8 million uh, metro population. So, yeah, hospitalizations I, I, and deaths are the numbers to generally look at uh, to make sure infection numbers increasing uh, means something other than young people getting it. And right now, Florida's numbers don't necessarily uh, correspond, though Texas is and I think Arizona's do. And uh, that's an interesting point to look at. Not to cut you off, I want to go back to the uh, slide here for a couple more points that go together. Financial impacts, uh, which do matter at the end of the day, because if we don't have schools to go back to, then we've really screwed the pooch on this whole thing, uh, to put it uh, bluntly. Uh, Wesley, uh, that Florida merger, not happening anymore, it looks like. It is rumored that Delaware State is looking to take them over. That is a uh, an FCS school, essentially. And uh, what happens if they swallow up Wesley? We don't know, especially in the first year. Um, 
We'll see what happens. Uh, there needs to be some announcements there soon, or Wesley may be risking having no credit heading into this school year. And how do they operate if they have no credit available? Because the state's not giving them any money possibly, and they don't have any merger definitiveness at that point in time. It's a tough situation without something signed, sealed, and delivered before, let's say, August 1st. This is a crucial month for Wesley. Uh, Hartwick is uh, one of those schools that we keep hearing people talk about. Uh, we don't have any, let's say, concrete information on no. it, except knowing that their uh, endowment has always been a little bit light-ish uh, compared to some schools in New York, but not the lightest for sure. And so uh, it's a school that we look at and talk about. And so that's why we include on the list of, hey, this could affect a school like Hartwick indeed, ultimately, and other schools that have the low and moderate endowments. Uh, but the reason why it could really affect things is the next bullet point, which is several players in schools for going football have started exploring the potential of deferring their fall 2020 term in order to play for four years, which means that fall 2020 could be a really problematic financial time for the schools because of less enrollment. And then fall yep. 2021 becomes they can only take so many students in at that point so it's not like they can fully make up the difference a year later assuming they can absorb the blow initially so there is a yeah. definite loss that would be experienced in this situation if they lose football players in fall 2020 or any other fall sport player at that point or winter sport player to the degree that they're uh, not going to play winter sport I think Bowden was a winner as well when they announced yeah yeah it's up until at least I mean because most winter sports really start training in October um, you know, there are some uh, some basketball games, for instance, and tournaments that happen um, around Thanksgiving or a little before, a little after. Um, there's certainly, uh, you know, a number of cases where, you know, those the seasons overlap. Um, and I think, you know, looking at it sort of more big picture wise, um, I, you know, we saw McMurray, we saw... I think there was one other school that recently decided to, to close down out in, out in Denver. You know, the these private colleges that don't have the uh, Bowdoin or Williams um, kind of wallets are going to, um, they, you know, it could be tough sledding, especially when you fake factor male um, student enrollment is way down nationally. It's about 60-40 split now. And football teams are usually anywhere from 10 to 15% of a male population at a given school. Just given on the size, just given the size of it, so a um, lot could change if if we start seeing um, more of these financial struggles continue. The last bullet point is an important one. It's uh, newsworthy because not many people know about this fact. Multiple conferences are considering waiving their automatic qualification for playoffs in order to potentially play more conference games during playoff weeks. Let me explain what that means. We know the number to be somewhere greater than five, we believe, uh, of conferences considering doing this out of 27 conferences in Division Three, You're allowed to play regular season games, quote-unquote, for as long as the season continues in the playoffs. We've seen makeup games throughout the years after the 11th week of the season, for instance, uh, when bowl games are normally played or when you know the uh, playoffs themselves are played. Uh, you're just you're limited to a maximum number of games you can play this year. Obviously, that doesn't come into play if we start later. Uh, the maximum number that is. So uh, some schools are actually thinking about, hey, we just want to complete our full round robin. Normally, our playoff 
qualifier isn't going to do anything in the playoffs anyway. We don't want to take the risk or spend the extra money for a playoff week ultimately. So we'll just keep playing one or two extra weeks of regular play and we'll be done with our season and our conference will have a champion and that's it. And okay, if that happens, that's great, but it does reduce yeah. the number of playoff teams technically we have unless we replace them with more at-large teams. Playoffs are a real conundrum. And I will tell you that the selection committee, from what I understand, is waiting for the management council or management committee to sort of give some mandates here. Yes. And time is running out on that to get, let's say, what I would call a cohesive and comprehensive approach on both ends of this. The regular season that the management council will kind of give more shape to with then the uh, selection committee helping shape what the playoffs are, the criteria, how many teams we'll have, etc. The general philosophy right now, or general thought process, is that there will be less than 32 teams in the playoffs this season if we have conventional playoffs. That yes. we may end up yeah. in a buy system like we did when we only had 28 teams back in 1998 to 2004, I think it was. Whether that number hits 16 teams, probably not, uh, unless more conferences begin to give this up where we get rid of our uh, our Pool C teams, our at-larges. But if you do that, then, I mean, why even have the playoffs at that point? Because you're going to miss some really good teams that didn't get to play 9-10 games, ultimately. So yeah. we're going to have this hodgepodge scenario, I think, for playoffs for another month at least because they don't know what to do. They don't know how to schedule this. Could we go out into the island eventually uh, and put 16 teams into an island to basically say, you know, we'll keep it remotely in the center of the country and everybody come out here, we'll get hotels uh, booked, we'll do the testing, you stay out here for a full week in November or December and we play our games for two weeks here and knock it down to four teams and then we'll figure out what to do there. Do we go fully regional and have regional champs like we did in the 70s until the Stag Bowl came along? That's possible yeah. too. We don't know the answers to these questions, but I want to underscore again back to the slide. Multiple conferences are considering waiving their automatic qualification for playoffs in order to potentially play more conference games during playoff weeks. Don't lose sight of that, and don't be surprised when you hear that the playoff system is going to be different this year compared to other years. In the end, we're doing this for the student athletes. And so we put out two polls, one in the middle of May, one just recently, about 45 days later, asking essentially the same question. As a D3 football player, do you want to play? We alluded to these polls in Coach Raymond's interview earlier. Do you want to play and would you sign a waiver specific to COVID against liability, uh, essentially, that you would put back to the school if you got infected by COVID? Obviously, Twitter doesn't allow you that many characters to explain all that, but we, we have enough confidence in our student-athletes that they understand what we were getting at when we pose it that way. The results in May were 75% yes, although 11% wouldn't sign, 4% no, and a big chunk of undecided. Fast forward, we're up to 82% yes with 10% not signing the waiver. 11% no, which is up slightly, but only 7% mm -hmm. not sure. So the not sure camp, and we had more responses this go around by about 50 responses. The not sure camp has gone down. The yes camp has definitely gone up, and so has the no camp, but 82% mm -hmm. are yes. And remember, any student athlete 
can opt out of the season even if their team is playing. That is their choice ultimately. So just Absolutely. Yeah. To, to say, hey, the 18% uh, are more important than the 82%, you, you could be right here, but they don't have to play. And most schools can still field teams if that's the case. Uh, maybe not the Grinnells of the world because of the problems they pre-existingly had. We'll see what happens with them. There's some questions there. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of them can. And so underscored 82% now versus 75%. It would gone up and got a lot more certainty with the vote generally here. Student athletes want to play. But here's one that is not going to be able to play this year. George Marinopoulos of RPI. RPI made the uh, decision. We think because of the housing situation that they're setting up and not having necessarily enough room for athletes across all sports in those terms, because if you were to have freshmen, seniors, and one of your other classes plus athletes, then you basically have the entire group almost back anyway. Only a small percentage wouldn't be on campus. I get why they may be doing it, but it's depressing nonetheless. George Marinopoulos talks to us about his reaction how he found out his team's reaction, especially the seniors, and what's next ultimately, and with the taste it leaves in his mouth after last year's kind of drop off and hope to bounce back this year with his class uh, as we headed into 2020, which is not going to happen now. And JB, I'm going to let you uh, say his name first because you you owe him, you know, saying his name correctly after all these years uh, now. Go ahead. Yeah, you think I would get a you think I would get a guy who wins conference titles, uh, you know, last name correct. <laughs> For some reason, I, I all right. So from RPI, senior quarterback George Marinopoulos, welcome back to In the Huddle. Thank you guys for having me. Hey George, uh, I'll go first question at least here, and uh, obviously this has been a rough week uh, for RPI. All kidding aside, now uh, and we saw Coach Isernia. Uh, talking to the press very emotional the other day obviously about the season being canceled my wife had asked me you know so what are you going to do for the fall and you know um you know i've been coaching on the sidelines college football for 30 years and and you know playing another four you know playing in high school i I said uh, i said this got to be over you know 40 42 43 years where i didn't have a a fall worth of, of football um you know, I haven't made that decision yet, what we're going to do. Um, but uh, I, I do know that, um, you know, unfortunately, RPI is not going to be the last school that, uh, that makes this decision. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of tough conversations that are coming up. You know, certainly for me, you know, um, you know I've got to talk to my team about it um, and talk about, you know, what they want to do for their future. But also, you know, I've got to talk to my son about it and say, hey, you know, we had, we had to cancel your season and, uh, you know, that's that's right there in in my own house. RPI uh, obviously having some uh, issues with exactly who to bring back to campus, how, and the resources it takes. That's that's kind of our read into where things have gone here, and obviously the health issues that come with COVID right now. But that leaves you guys uh, in a very precarious position. First, take us through when you found out, how you found out, and your initial reaction. Yep. Um, I woke up Tuesday morning. Uh, I had a bunch of notifications on my phone from uh, other guys on the team, and um, I really didn't want to believe it. And then um, I checked my email, saw we got the plan for return to campus, and scrolled through it as fast as I could until I found the section of athletics. And uh, that's when I read it and saw that we were going to be having a season this year. And um, 
we were kind of expecting it because um, we had a couple meetings set up with the whole athletic department, but um, really can't prepare for getting that news um, beforehand. So definitely tough reading that, figuring that out. Um, so definitely, definitely a rough start to the day on Tuesday, but what can you do? You got to make the best of it. Yeah, I mean, when other than kind of the initial sort of you know feelings of disbelief, I mean, what was sort of the the communications interactions that you had with some of your teammates, especially you know guys in in your class who are uh, rising seniors who now start to need to figure out what their um, plan B might be if they want to keep uh, that one last year of eligibility and and uh, how did those conversations go? Yeah, first. Um... Tuesday morning, afternoon, it was um, still pretty much shock. I just not really um, knowing how to react to the situation, myself included. But um, as we've been a few days now, uh, I've been getting more and more texts from guys my age, just um, asking about plans, trying to figure out a plan, um, trying to make it work to come back. Um, obviously, it can't work for everybody. Guys are in different spots academically, um, going into careers and stuff. So, um Definitely just trying to sort everything out for the guys. Um, I know Coach I is going to be talking to everybody, uh, trying to get a gauge on what guys are thinking, even younger guys if they want to, if they're thinking they're going to use another year of eligibility or not. But uh, still a lot of unknowns, still a lot to go through. So just trying to figure it out day by day. George, what does go through your mind, though? Because you're a business major uh, there at RPI. You're going to be graduating if uh, all had gone normal on time, uh, from what we understand. Um, you are somebody who is a real leader. Uh, you have been in this role since a freshman, since your freshman year, rather. Uh, and obviously, you're a grown-up at this point uh, in many different ways uh, and w what is the thought process for you personally at this point i mean th there, there could be a litany of decisions here you could defer the fall and come back for 2021's fall in play you could transfer technically if you wanted to and go to somewhere that needs a quarterback in 2020 that's going to play or you could say yeah heck with that i'm just going to go through my senior year and that was a great three years of football None of them are great decisions to have to make. What goes through your head at a time like this, even if you haven't made a decision yet? Yeah, um, it's just like just trying to take in all of the options pretty much. That's trying to gather as much information about everything first. Um, definitely been talking to my parents a lot about it. Um, and like, I definitely want to come back. I want to come back and play football again because um, there's nothing quite like playing college football. Um, I've like this is gonna be the first ball I haven't played football since I was six years old. So uh, definitely gonna be tough adjusting to it. Um, we'll really see how this ball goes with not having it. Seeing I know how much I'm gonna miss it, um, but definitely would love to come back. Just gotta figure it out with my parents and school and everything first um, because there is a lot of stuff that goes into it. Uh, one of us might have taken some flack yesterday over um, some comments around the NCAA statement or lack thereof that came out. Uh, and so, George, from your perspective as a as a student athlete, there was a there was a D three coach that that had kind of uh, reinforced my opinion around you know what would have been nice to see in that statement uh, would be something that you know addressed eligibility seasons of participation, seasons of full-time enrollment waivers, 
uh, so that students who you know basically are paying to play sports while earning their degrees could make an informed decision about what to do this fall. Um, you know, speaking as a as a student athlete, someone who's uh, you know your parents are paying your know, tuition for that business degree and all that. I mean, is this the type of information that you guys are still kind of waiting on to to hear before you can really make a call one way? And it sounded like you were you know you're leaning to trying to figure out a way to come back, um, but has sort of the, the lack of information on what your options are been a challenge for you? Um, so we had a team meeting the other night. Uh, Coach I addressed uh, pretty much all of our options and answered a ton of questions that we had. Dr. McElroy, our athletic director, um, he had a meeting with the whole uh, fall sports department uh, that was also on Tuesday afternoon. And um, both those guys have been great about getting information to us um, and I feel like I'm, I'm pretty informed of all my options and what we have to do in order to get another year, another semester of eligibility. So um, it's been really nice having a school that has our back through all this. Um, I can't say enough about RPI and how great they've been the last three years. So um, the whole NCAA thing, I'm not too sure of the lack thereof statement of what they have going on, but I know RPI has been really great with us, uh, keeping us informed on everything. George, obviously we're in this situation because of the COVID-19 situation. Uh, in, it's a ravaged us in a lot of different ways, uh, from spring practice to spring sports to you know what we've lived through at spring, summer, and otherwise. Uh, how has it affected your team to the degree you can tell us? Uh, have you, uh, you heard about any confirmed infections? We've heard about several throughout other teams, uh, just to uh, be candid with you. So this is you know, not isolated to just RPI if there is such a thing. Um, but have you heard stories about it and how has it affected the team generally even before this announcement this week that there would be no football? Yeah, um, I've only heard of a couple people, thankfully. Thankfully, I've only heard of a couple of being, people being infected with COVID. Um, definitely been a rough few months for everyone uh, just with everything going on. But um, I thought that the state of our football team has always been strong. We've got a great bond. Uh, we all do with each other. So even not having spring practice, not being able to go back to campus after spring break, we were still holding uh, virtual WebEx meetings with each other, uh, going over the playbook, even just talking with each other, just being able to see each other on camera. Um, during those couple months of isolation with everybody, it was, um, I, look, I know that I look forward to those times, being able to just see the guys, talk to the guys. Um, so I, we've, we've been strong through it all, and we're going to keep being strong through this. Um, and, uh, yeah, we got a great group, great group of guys, so I'm really thankful to be a part of it. Got one more for you, uh, George. Obviously, uh, there's a certain motivation and drive. We talked to Coach Raymond uh, over at uh, Williams earlier in the week when uh, they had canceled their season, and they had gone, I think, 5-4, and 7-2 and two in that order, and we, had to, we talked to him about – you know, having that momentum and being excited about coming into 2020 and then boom, you know, brick wall, essentially. You guys had the opposite situation forming after the season you had in your sophomore year. You guys went to six and five last year, lost your last two games, including the ECAC bowl game against Grove City, which is a great team. As you know, uh, they, they were uh, a juggernaut of sorts uh, in the pack the last couple of years, but I uh, couldn't quite make it to the top of their conference. But still, the loss is a loss, and your team probably wanted uh, to get some, let's say, revenge uh, tour going on in your senior year. 
Was that the case? And how is it feeling right now because of that six and five season? Do you think it will motivate more of the guys to want to come back in 2021 at RPI? Yeah, um, we were definitely having a great off season. Um, we had a great group of seniors that uh, just wanted to do everything that they could for the program. So um, I really I like it. Just it's just unfortunate situation for us, um, but. We were having a good off season um, with everything going on. We were having groups uh, meet at different times, going over stuff, uh, getting a lot of guys out on the field to do stuff. But yeah, the, the first two months of the semester, we felt we were really building something to go off in the fall. And we were really excited about that. Um, but I've definitely had a bunch of guys text me. Some guys that at first weren't going to come back, they were saying, I only have one semester left. I don't know, I'm going to milk this out for a year. But that one of those guys texted me and said, hey, I'm, I want to try to make it work just because it's just this is just a tough reality to deal with. Just um, you play football. I played football for 15 years and my last season that I'm going to play, I just get it taken away from me. It just it's just a tough pill to swallow. Um, so I think a bunch of guys are going to try to do everything that they can to come back and play one more year. I think you guys are handling it as well as you possibly can. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, Coach I was saying that this will be his first sort of off season in like 40 years that he hasn't had, you know, a coach or coaching or, or, you know, playing kind of a thing in the fall. I mean, I imagine it's sort of a, it's probably a, a mixed bag of emotions. On one hand, you know, there are certain Liberty League schools that seem to be, you know, at least willing to give it a try. And I'm sure that, you know, maybe some of the folks at RPI are like, hey, why didn't we, at least sort of feel this out, but uh, it seems like Dr. Jackson's, you know, made the, made the call um, kind of seemed like it caught some of the folks in athletics by surprise. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is and you can only control what you can control, which I think I'm sure, you know, coach I or the other uh, coaches on staff have said, but, you know, we've, uh, we've definitely enjoyed, um, you know, covering your career. You've had a, a great one so far and we've enjoyed, you know, seeing you out there and you guys have had RPI has been a, a you know, pretty fun program to follow you know the upset at Brockport in the playoffs you guys went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Wesley um, you know, there's been some really great games that you've been a part of and so we we wish you the best um, we know that you'll do what's uh, what's right for you and and uh, you know you can always you always bug us old guys if you have any questions <laughs> about stuff right? post-college um, we're, we're, we're here for you so uh, thanks again for joining us George and we'll look forward to uh, seeing you in, in the black and red again in 2021. Before you let him Thank go completely, you. though, hold on. He's still no, a player it, guest. He still has the right to shout-outs at the end of this oh, kind of yeah. morbid-sounding interview. At least let's end with some <laughs> high notes here, <laughs> folks. Let's uh, let you uh, give shout-outs to any family, friends, teammates, coaches, whoever you want. George Marinopoulos, this will not be your last time on In the Huddle. Make us that promise as well. Go ahead. It's your shout-outs. Yep. So I just got to give one shout out today. Today is my sister's 23rd birthday. So uh, I just want to say happy birthday to my sister, Christina. Going to have a great day today. That's great. Happy birthday, Christina. This may air a little bit oh, after yeah. it, but still, at least she'll know you said it uh, later on. <laughs> so George, again, uh, reiterating what uh, JB just said, uh, tremendous career so far. And uh, it sounds like uh, there may be more to be uh, more heard to from George Marinopoulos. So uh, we're crossing our fingers for that because you've been exciting and super respectful, a super leader at RPI, and uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from there. Keep us posted, okay? Thank you very much, guys, for having me on. Hopefully we'll be able to add to it.
Again, apologies to the uh, name misspelling that may uh, have uh, continued there. Uh, I, I pick on you about saying his name, JB. But nonetheless, it's uh, me that screws up the name on the screen. George was great with us. I uh, really appreciated his candor as well. And I mean, it's tough not to feel horrible for a guy like him who has started for three years, been that leader. He stepped up immediately, said, I will absolutely do this interview with you guys. We do appreciate that. And thanks to Kevin Beatty and Coach I for assisting as well. Um, yep. I, I think that a lot of people in athletics were caught by surprise like this or by this news, like you said. Give me your view on how you feel about RPI's decision. Um, it's a mixed bag. I mean, because, you know, on one hand, you can say that, Hey, they're doing what they feel is the best thing for their students and and uh, the people in the in the Troy community. Um, you know, as I've said before, the COVID data in upstate New York looks promising. It looks um, like things are, are going well there. Um, it's interesting that RPI didn't want to wait until um, you know the Liberty League decision had come out and potentially looked at possible solutions. I mean, they are another multi-billion dollar um, endowed institution. You know, could there be you know, some hoteling or some type of um, kind of little mini quarantining going on with sports teams to uh, to make something happen? But at the end of the day, they uh, they made their decision. And so, you know, guys like, uh, like George and, and others are, are basically just going to have to uh, to wait and extend their college experience, taking some time off, um, coming back and, um, you know, trying to get that last season in, uh, you know, like he said, he, he's played football every year for the last 15 years of his life. And now he won't, um, which might be a good, uh, experience for him to, to have in the sense that, you know, after his senior year, that's it. And for most people, um, you know, they don't play football, uh, past college. And in fact, even, uh, most people don't even play after high school. So, um, you know, it could be a way for him to, you know, keep figuring out what he wants to do after he graduates, but it's still, it's tough to have the decision removed from you even without a chance to, to come up with possible solutions. But that's, that's what they, that's what their uh, cards they were dealt and they just got to play them. I want to close with some uh, notes here from Josh Ketter, who uh, wrote a, an article on medium.com uh, about the, some of the stats that we've learned over time uh, may kind of go against what we had as prevalent thinking in March and April uh, with COVID developing and how it applies now. We actually reached out, or you did uh, actually, JB, with him to ask questions about uh, the health and the financial questions that come along with it right now if we were to return to school and sports. Uh, he did defer a little bit on the financial impacts because he's not aware enough of how that all plays out. I will grab a little bit mm -hmm. of his discussion point, though, here to say this is a quote from him. I think the risks are super minimal to the players themselves. They are more likely to die from flu and pneumonia. Coaches and support staff may need some measures to protect them depending on age, obesity, underlying conditions, etc. But even for them, it's like dealing with a really nasty flu. For every 3,500 to 35,000 coaches and staff, depending on age, I'd expect about one will catch it and be fatal. Of course, I'd keep in mind that every year in a population that size, about three people would or will die from other causes too, accidents, illnesses, etc. I doubt people document how many folks pass away each year associated with college football programs, so in actuality, this would be a rather low risk, but it's guaranteed to get far more reporting and attention than the typical deaths, tragedies that would, would and still will occur from other causes. 
And then uh, he goes into the point, uh, long story short, I think the risks in terms of loss of life are fairly low, especially since all these people will be interacting with each other elsewhere. You're just now adding one additional element or alternative space for those interactions to occur. The bigger risk is to PR and how you manage perceptions as well as the backlash you receive from enabling large groups of people to gather. And it goes on to discuss a little bit about that. I'm not going to uh, get into that deeply. We will provide some uh, more from that on Twitter, I'm sure, at some point. But the point he's uh, making here is essentially, if we're going back to school anyway, then what's adding this one additional component, ultimately, of playing sports? Especially if we figure out ways to manage sports to give an extra halo around them, be it putting the players in hotels for the year to the degree you have those around you, or putting them in a separate dorm, testing multiple times a week, one to two times at least a week, etc. compared to the normal student body. It's an interesting question. It does pose financial risks for the schools, not just the liability risk, but the testing risk. But JB, I'm going to let you have the last word. If you were a college administrator, would you field football teams as, long, as well as other fall sports teams in fall of 2020, yes or no? Well, I think there's there's two sides of the story. There's there's sort of the, the Keter data Linux side of the story that says one thing, and then there's sort of the other um, the other side, which is the what's kind of trying to protect the uh, the overall community, the greater good, the you know the one or two versus the the overarching. Um, you know, population. And so it would be, it would be really challenging, I think, as a college administrator, because on one hand, you risk the possibility of, of closing your institution. If you, you know, there's no students to pay the tuition and to pay the faculty salaries and you're not in business anymore. And, and don't get, don't get it wrong. All these colleges and universities are a business, um, nonprofit on one hand, but they're still, you know, they're, they're providing a service and an experience that comes in many cases, especially in the division three ranks with a pretty hefty price tag. Um, so um, you're kind of damned if you do damned if you, honestly, and you know, both sides, you know, I've, I've seen people who've reacted to Ketter's thing as saying like, Oh yeah, see that, that, you know, confirms, you know, what we were thinking. And then the other side is, well, it's, you know, it doesn't really have overlap to science and medicine. And, you know, what about the kids who catch COVID and the long-term effects? We don't really know what those are. And these are all very valid arguments. But at the end of the day, um, you know, you have one life to live and, and you know, there is risk involved in, in living. And so you have to be, you have to get and comfortable with, you know, what, what risks are you comfortable with? And I think that's a, a discussion that's different for every family, um, for every student. You know, obviously when we're 18 to 22, we might feel a little more invincible than we do when we're 40 something. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's an individual decision. And I feel like um, these kids and their families should have at least some kind of a say in, in making that decision. And so I think, you know, some of the things you stated earlier, very interesting possibilities, you know, pods, hotels, there are, there are solutions, but we're running out of time to figure out um, what's really going to happen. And at the end of the day, it's, it's sort of still a wait and see because who knows? And, um, you know, by September 26th, COVID may, may not be a thing anymore. Um, it's obviously a big deal now uh, with the case numbers, but those cases aren't quite turning into the hospitalizations um, that a lot of people were negatively predicting that they would. 
if that changes, which I hope it doesn't, I don't want to see more people going to the hospital and more people getting sick. Trust me, I'm not, I'm not a sadist, but you know, if, if we see that the cases are starting to level off and hospitalizations are still kind of going down and deaths are going down and that's a good thing. Um, that's a good thing for people's health. Um, and so uh, I guess it'll be a matter of time. We'll just have to sort of wait it out. But there'll be a lot more uh, announcements probably of, of teams not going to play, some teams that are going to play, some teams that are going to wait and see. I don't know. We uh, come out to here for a second and just uh, state this. Uh, you know, COVID for me for the first couple of months was uh, personally uh, something I was able to manage and handle. Financially, I'm okay. I, I'm lucky in that respect. And uh, you know, some of the things I've been able to do in the meantime have protected me in that respect. And so that should make me happy. But honestly, going into month three to four, it really became a much darker time for me. Uh, and, you know, it, it, part of it is not living with family, I think, to a certain degree, because it is, uh, you know, I'm 44, have my own apartment here in upstate New York, did not return to New York City uh, much during that time because of the way it was, obviously. But let me just make something clear in that, for me, who has a good life and is lucky to have the friends I have and everything, it was still a very dark time. And that's why, for me, I want to see kind of the madness and the losses of the enjoyment of life stop to the degree we can do it. And part of that includes trying to open up the schools and trying to get our sports as usual to the degree it can be usual in the fall going. Uh, I, I don't wish you know, bad things on anybody. I don't wish death on anybody. I, you know, we did a horrible job protecting our elderly in this first go around with it. And to the degree we have to have a second go around with it, hopefully we do better with it. But let's also take into consideration that, you know, while the customer may not be always right in reality, uh, the, the student athletes are your customers at schools. And to the degree they want to play, we need to do something to make that happen or at least give them the full lay of the land so they can make their decisions on if they want to attend or not in fall 2020. We need those answers. We need the NCAA to step up and it is within their power to step up. They lay down the rules and guidelines of everything else we go through in uh, division three, division one, division two, whatever division, they can do this and they're going to have to do this eventually to regulate and make equitable this season and to make it safe to a certain degree as well. We want to see people thrive. We want to see the darkness end for a lot of people here. And I understand that may not completely happen until a vaccine occurs. But at the same time, JB, there are other things we can do taking controlled risks here, as you pointed out, to make things start moving forward in this country and in our higher education facilities with sports as well. Hopefully, cooler heads prevail. Good decisions are made. And ultimately, we'll have a season 13 to look forward to, even if it's 170 teams or 160 teams instead of 247, which is possible. But we'll still enjoy it nonetheless because it'll still be the biggest division out there, even at that number, I believe, uh, at that point in time. And plenty of these teams to go and visit and look at as long as I'm allowed on campus anymore after these rants. Um, <laughs> Folks, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to uh, close out here again. Have a great uh, Independence Day weekend to the degree you see this before that or during that. And uh, Happy birthday, be safe. America. Yep, be safe out yeah. there, everyone. Uh, use your heads. Uh, use the, your the masks. Mask is, yep, the masks are 
you know, in the in the case of going into a restaurant, having to wear it until you get seated at a table, you know what? If it makes everybody happy and it feels uh, makes it feel safer, do it. Yeah. At this point, just do it. I'm I'm as much it's a libertarian as anybody in life, but I, I let's just do it at this point and get through this together. JB, be well. You too.